Welcome to Fuse, the global podcast by the PRCA. I am absolutely thrilled. Uh, Our episode today will focus on unleashing Africa's PR potential and global impact with Ayeni Adekunle. Now, I'm so thrilled to have you today, Ayeni. Welcome. Thank you so much. I'm happy to be here. It's good to see you. You're looking really lovely and I like your environment. It's beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. So I'm just going to just give a short blurb on, um, you know, on your inc- impressive, incredible bio. Uh, so you are the founder of BHM, a Nigerian uh, consultancy, uh, but you have offices in the UK and you are about to launch in the US. Yeah, absolutely. Which is really exciting. So you're an international agency and you've used incredible platforms like World PR Day, the Africa PR Report um, and Placard and NEC Live and and I think also Influ- World Influence Day. That's yours yes. as well. Global Day of Influence. My yeah. God, you are just on it. Um, I mean, all of this extra stuff as well as running your agency. Um, and it's really to bring Africa into the global discourse whilst, you know, whilst building out your agency at the same time. Um, and you're the first global communication service firm in Africa. Uh, you have offices in Lagos and London and Edinburgh, Nairobi, Accra, and you've got plans to launch New York. Uh, your clients have included Heineken, Coca-Cola, Coursera, MTN, MultiChoice, the McAllen. Uh, we're so thrilled to have you. So thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much, Rosanna. So, Ayeni, I remember, you know, I remember meeting you, um, you know, with um, is it Stephen Waddington's sort of group. And I remember first thinking, who is that well-dressed man? <laughs> he is incredible. He must be in fashion PR. Uh, you know, you really have a certain style, uh, which, you know, I, I massively appreciate. And, um, and then I remember after that, you know, flicking through the FT and then there was this whole article in the fastest growing companies in Africa. And I was like, oh, this would be interesting to read. And boom, you're there. Um, so, you know, you're incredible what, what you've achieved and, you know, and your passion. So, you know, I'd love to know about your journey, you know, from journalism to PR. Um, you know, if you could just talk us, you know, talk us through, because I know you're also working in the music industry. So I'd love to know your origin story, how you came into the industry, what were you doing before? Um, and, you know, and if you can talk us through um, what you've done so far uh, in, uh, in our sector. Thank you. Okay, thanks, um, Fazana. Thanks for the opportunity for this conversation. Um, uh, I studied microbiology in university. Oh my God. Yeah, but before I went to uni, I'd fallen in love with music. So my career actually started with music. I was in the music industry, um, promoting artists, managing artists, working in A&R and artist development and and everything. Um, But later on, before I went to uni, I found out that I preferred writing to actual management. So I settled more for writing. So by the time I left uni, I'd become a well vast writer um, um so i just faced journalism um you know so i moved from working in the industry managing talent to actually reporting writing about music and just at the point the music industry in nigeria was struggling um I, 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 um the markets had not opened up there was no streaming um you know there was no youtube and all of that you know so the industry was very local um, i mean so i did my bit um, and I really, really loved music. I, I loved traveling. I loved covering concerts and everything. But you see, 
it wasn't necessarily the most rewarding in terms of compensation. And I was very ambitious, you know. So I was looking for what to do with my skill, what more to do with my skill. I could write. I knew about music from a pop culture perspective, also from an art perspective. I was just trying to find out what could I do, um, you know, to make more money and get by. I'd left university in 2004, and I'd been writing for almost God knows how many years, 10 years there about, but not much was happening, you know. And then a a label executive, the biggest label executive in Nigeria at the time, who um, I was privileged to be acquainted with, said to me, you write so well, um, why don't you become a publicist? was the first time I was hearing about the world. I had no idea what it was about. And I, I, I remember leaving this office that day and going back home to research what this was about. And I said to myself, this is close to what I do for free for my friends anyway, because I was already writing profiles for friends and so on and so forth. So by 2006, I decided that I wanted to be a publicist. And I didn't want to do it part-time because it would conflict with my work as a journalist. So I quit journalism to go and focus on that. Um, and we became big almost overnight. All the years of experience working in the music space, making friends with artists, covering the Mobile Awards in the UK, you know, I'd met everybody, yeah, um, you know, all of that came to play when I came out to announce that I was now a publicist. So the biggest artists in the country, the biggest label were suddenly knocking on my doors. I never had to pitch for a business. I never had to ask anybody for business. So that was 2006. By 2007, eight, we were like the biggest publicist in the company. I could hire a staff, two, three, four. I could get an office and so on and so forth. You know, At this stage, a &E, were you just focusing on the music industry? Just the music industry. That was all I cared about. That was all I wanted to do. I didn't want to do corporate. It was too boring. You know, it was just working with artists. Um, you know, But you see, but by 2008, a couple of clients and friends started saying to me, the work you do is so good that you must consider um, consider looking at other sectors of communications. Mm -hmm. And I found a gentleman at the time, Professor Phil Osage, who was the head of the um, PR Consultants Association in Nigeria, who also said to me, you need to get a diploma in PR and become a proper PR professional so you can join the NIPR which is the equivalent of CIPR in the UK. Mm -hmm. So I did that. I went back to school. Don't forget that I came into PR, I mean, the publicist as a journalist. I came in with a lot of arrogance, thinking I knew everything, I knew so much, you know. But the diploma that Philosagi caused me to take showed me that, yes, I could write. Mm -hmm. Yes, I was creative, but, but I didn't know the fundamentals of public relations and communications. So I got a diploma, I went back to class, I got that. At the same time, a couple of friends or clients were saying to me, you guys do such great work. Why don't you consider doing corporate PR and brand PR? It sounded all very boring and, you know, to me, I didn't want that. I wanted to, you know, but I listened. And in 2009, we rebranded. Um, that was when the company became BHM, Black House Media. We used to be called something else, I'm, 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 you know, and, we rebranded in 2009, and I recall that we got the opportunity to work for um, a company called GD Netta. They were the exclusive licensee, so to speak, of Moet Enesi, Glamorange, Moet and Chadon, and 
all those wines and spirits in Nigeria at the time. And I had met the comms lady at one event who had said, okay, let's see what could happen. We, we bid it for that business and that was our first try at doing corporate work. It was still close to entertainment because they were doing Hennessy artistry and, and what have you, but we were now working for a proper corporate organization and who you could learn from their structure, you could see how they worked and it was very eye-opening. Mm -hmm. Then I recall an interesting story where the next year after that, Viacom, which is now called Paramount, were looking for a PR partner in Nigeria. Now, in my journalism year, I'd covered them and I'd been merciless. <laughs> so now I'm here pitching for their business. And I recall the vice president at the time, Alex Okosi, who is now with Google, said to me, you were very, 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 very stubborn. I remember how you covered our events and now you want our business. But why should we give you our business? And I recall the answer to him. He said, I covered you as a journalist very objectively, very honestly, and very fairly. It may not have been the best way that you wanted it, but mm -hmm. I can assure you that if I were to be your PR consultant, I would also approach your work with the same honesty and dedication and fairness. And, 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 you know, and we got the business. Yeah, that's a very good response. One thing I want to ask you, because you segued from journalism to PR, like a lot of our listeners, you know, there's a number of journalists that have come into PR. Did you find you had to adjust in terms of power balance? Absolutely. So as a journalist, I was quite reputable and quite known. If I walked into an event and into a press conference, people would, would be careful. People would be worried. Right, I was very, 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 very powerful, quote and unquote, at the time. Mm -hmm. I, I, I mean, uh, most of the corporate companies in Nigeria at the time were leveraging youth and entertainment to push their marketing. So I was relevant. So you were relevant, you were influential, you were powerful. But all of a sudden, you are on this other side where you are taking briefs and you're trying to win new business, and you're doing client service, it takes a while to adjust. It was a shock to me. Um, journalism also lets you be in control of your time, 100%. I could stay home for three days and just work on my computer and not leave home as a reporter, as a journalist. I, 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 you know, and I could go out at night and hang out with artists and colleagues and not have to be up until 10 a.m. the next morning. You cross into PR, you're doing meetings and RFPs, and then... The equipment you need to work as a journalist from a word processing perspective is different from what you need when you cross to PR. You are suddenly dealing with Excel and PowerPoint, you know, and all sorts of yeah, yeah. So, so it it takes a while to adjust, but if you are open-minded, you find that you come with very useful skill from journalism, very, very useful skill and experience and contact and network. But if you combine that with what you learn in PR, then nobody can stop you. I keep saying that journalists will do very well in PR and come. They know the newsroom. They know how to tell a story. So, But that's just one part of the work. If you then come into PR and you can learn strategy and you learn the business and you pay attention, if you combine the both of them, then you're unstoppable, you know. Yeah. It's true. You know, two things that's quite interesting is um, is you decided to do the diploma in PR. Yeah. Do you feel, because you've never worked in a PR agency before. I never so stepped foot in one. So that's, I mean, I'm the same. I've never worked in a PR agency before. Uh, and I always used to think to myself, my God, it's the blind leading the blind. Yeah. Uh, and I always used to be absolutely fascinated to meet other agency people. And I would 
want to know all about their processes and detail because I felt it was this, you know, this land that I didn't know. And, and so I wanted to just find out that running a PR agency, having never worked in a PR agency, did you find doing the PR diploma coming from a journalist background was really helpful to you? And how did you overcome setting up an agency without having the experience? Yeah, so getting the, the diploma was very humbling. Mm-hmm. I was already the CEO of my own company and I had to go to class every weekend and do all of that. But I learned so much that I then caused us to have a company policy to insist that all of our PR people must have a diploma in PR if they don't have a first degree in PR. Because that's where you learn the theory. That's when you learn the fundamentals. And then, yes, you're in practice, you work day to day, but there's a framework that guides what we do. So yes, I learned so much, it was very beneficial. And since then, I became unstoppable. I registered for CIPR, I started taking courses and everything, you know, and I love it. But in terms of setting up the firm without having worked or even stepped foot in an agency before, I didn't have to overcome that barrier. It was actually a blessing. I think that what's made BHM very successful is that we designed our own way of how we think a PR company should run. We were not uh, bogged down by the conventional wisdom. So, so, so every BHM consultant, I say, is a working PR agency because we make you understand every aspect of the world because we say you must be able to advise your client from A to Z. So I found out later that a lot of agencies were structured around worlds, media, research, monitoring, and I'm like, no, if I spend one hour with my clients, I should know enough about their business and know enough data to say, no, you can do that, you know? So I think not knowing how PR was structured was what worked to our advantage. That's one, we we were blind, we were stupid, we were very, um, uh, um, you know, we were novices and it happened to, and I think that creative approach is what made the industry welcome us. So we brought a different approach to things. We said, no, we wouldn't do it like that. We would do it this way. And once it worked, it became the style. I think it was the same thing that worked for me when I was a journalist, where I didn't study journalism or mass communication. I was this microbiologist from the music industry who just came into the newsroom and said, why do we do it this way? And it only took a publisher, a boss, to give me a chance. And by the time I was leaving journalism, most of the music reporting you had were following my style. Same with PR, you know. So I think it was a blessing that I hadn't worked in PR before. And now, which is what informs most of what we're doing now, um, we're doing this blind. We've not done this before. We're not walking a path that there's a template. We're not following a template. We're just saying, we'd like to do this. Would the result be good? How could we do this? Most people wouldn't embark on a global expansion without a big wallet, without an acquisition, without a bank their bankers saying, go ahead, we're behind you. We're just saying, well, what could possibly go wrong? Let's do it. Um, you know, same thing. Um, and I think that that's what drove us from working on NSC to working with Paramount, um, where I had never tasted, I didn't know the difference between cognac and whiskey when we started working with NSC. Yeah. I didn't know Jack about wine and spirits and alcoholic beverages, you know. Paramount, same thing. But... We went in there, we were very open-minded. By the time we stopped working for NSC, I had become a connoisseur 
of not just the 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 brand but the category itself um, mm -hmm. I, I, you know and we went on to work for a lot of other brands in that space because of that knowledge um, um, you know and that story became complete in 2013 10 years ago the switch from entertainment to full blown PR when Heineken's Opco in Nigeria called us and said, we like what you do for Hennessy. We see what you do. Come, let's try the project. Mm -hmm. And it was supposed to be a one-off project where we came in and just worked with them to launch a music app and all of that. And we've worked for them ever since. This is the 10th year we'll be working for Heineken in Nigeria. Nice. So, um, and by the time Heineken gave us an opportunity to work with them, the whole, it, it was like a stamp of credibility, started by NSC, continued by Viacom. But once Anakin came in, we then became recognized as a proper PR company that anybody could work with. And you know, and that's when the when that switch, when that turn, that's what I say marked the turnaround point for us ten years ago. And so, so ten years ago, uh, when you then got that sort of mark of credibility, what happened next? Everybody started calling. Everybody. Different sectors. Across sectors. Mm -hmm. The phones wouldn't stop ringing. We, I used to wonder what it would take to get invited to RFPs. Yeah. We just never got invited. I didn't yeah. know. But from 2013, it just happened that we were on everybody's list. We were just on everybody's list. So we grew. <laughs> our revenue grew over a thousand percent between 2013 and 2015. That's incredible. It That's just grew. It and just how did you, you manage that growth? Because you had to then hire quickly. Yeah. Uh, and you had to then also embed the culture, your innovative way of thinking. And every person is an agency, which means they've got so much more to learn. They're not the cogs yeah. in a machine that you get in other agencies. You really, you know, you're, you're really creating an, a, a community of thinkers. So how did you scale up so fast? So I was Anson. I was very Anson. Um, I was at work first thing in the morning, I remember. And I, I was sleeping in the office most times or live late. So I was mostly training everybody, making sure that we stick to the culture, making sure that there's quality control on the work that was being done, and making sure that we don't mess up the opportunity that we were getting. I was very Anson. And I must say that we were blessed with extremely dedicated, loyal, and hardworking staff from day one. Most of my staff would join as interns and six, nine months down the line, they're running accounts on their own. So there was no huge pool of talent to hire from outside senior talent. Mm -hmm. They wouldn't even work with us anyway because we were a startup, right? So we were just hiring young people who wanted to learn, who, who wanted to work. And, and I think that me being hands-on, me getting the right support from my colleagues made made it easy for yeah. us to grow. I must also say that the difference I find between my when I was practicing mostly in the music industry and the creative entertainment space and moving to work with corporates is that the corporates have this structure that also helps you grow, helps you learn and grow. Yeah. So they have this very experienced head of communications. They have an entire flow full of brand managers and so on and so forth. So you are plugging into a system. Yeah. So we learned a lot from working with Paramount and Heineken and, and GD Netta and all the clients that were. Today, we do DSTV and MTN, we've done Coca-Cola. These guys have corporate affairs managers 
who have 30 years experience, who have worked in seven countries. The templates that we got from working with Viacom, BET, MTV, and so on and so forth, were the things we adapted to work for other clients. Because MTV was an American company. They took us all over the world. We went to Europe with them. We, we went to America with them. They mm -hmm. had frameworks for everything. So we suddenly found business frameworks, brand management frameworks, case studies, and so on and so forth, that we were smart enough to adapt. So yeah. I wrote something on Twitter a few years ago that when you work with multinationals, they need you to mm -hmm. advise them on stakeholder management, to advise them on communication, to advise them on how to work with media and influencers and so on and so forth. Mm -hmm. But if you are very, very smart, you also benefit a lot from them in terms of business development, in terms of business strategy, in terms of growth and scaling and so on and so forth. So for every multinational that we worked with, they were grateful to us for the work we're doing for them, but we were also grateful to them because they were exposing us, now the business, to things I would have had to go and get an MBA to yeah. learn. So our company has grown, the business has grown on the back of what we've learned what we've seen, what we've experienced from the big clients that we work for. So after a while, I realized why my friends were advising me to not just do music PR, but mm -hmm. to do corporate PR. Our transformation came on yeah. the back of the work. We're suddenly seeing work in investor relations, working for clients who are quoted on the stock exchange, mm -hmm. working for clients who are in 21 countries and so on and so forth across mm -hmm. regions and everything. So I've learned so much. And... Once we started getting exposed to senior management and, and, and executive level clients and board level clients, the story just changed. Where I remember the first time I heard the word EBITDA. Uh, and yeah, and. I had to Google it as well when I first heard it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So you can know your PR so well. Mm -hmm. or I'm, I'm sorry, if you don't understand business, you can't even help the clients beyond a certain level. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. And, you know, so your offices are Lagos and Nairobi, Accra, London, Edinburgh. I'm intrigued to know, you know, in what order did you open these offices? What were the challenges? Um, and also, um, you know, how did you keep your sanity? I mean, you know, are you just constantly living on a plane? Uh, obviously, with remote work and, and you know, yeah. sort of remote and video calls is a lot easier. Yeah. About the internet, tell me about the expansion to the other cities um, and the other places, countries in Africa, and then I'd love to know separately about the UK. Yeah, so in 2014, I got quite worried about the lack of attention we were getting from Europe and America. Mm -hmm. I thought people across Africa were doing so much great work, but we couldn't break in to the CIPR, to the PRCA. Mm -hmm. old report at the time, which is now Provoke Media, to PR Week and so on and so forth. I would fly to London, to Finland, to the US to attend conferences, you know. They would take my money. I remember attending an FT conference in 2014. Yeah. They would take my money, I will come to the conferences, but then I would pitch to them mm -hmm. to have somebody be on a panel or speak or to feature some research and they would say, mm -hmm. sorry, sorry, no, no, no. So we started getting worried that we're going to get lost in Africa um, if we don't do something. Mm -hmm. And But we then went around to survey across Nigeria at the time to find out how much people knew about PR or PR firms. Even across our own country, there was a lot of ignorance about what PR meant. We asked very basic questions as um, define PR, define advertising. 
most important PR was advertising. We did all of that. Then we surveyed the PR industry itself. And we found out that, wow, so instead of fighting Provoke and PR Week and CIPR and so on and so forth, we had work to do our own first. So we actually planned to create awareness about the profession in Nigeria mm-hmm. and then to then come to Europe and America and find a way to let the people here know about what was happening back in Africa. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, so we actually did not ex- expand into Africa first. We came into Europe first. Oh, really? So, yeah, so in 2020, I remember the what the the retreat we had. The plan was to launch in the UK in 2015, and then launch in I think France or so. So we had this very big, massive plan that of course did not happen. Um, um, you know, and then we sort of forgot about it. We launched the Nigeria PR report. The company kept growing. You know, we're hiring hundreds of staff across the country. We were good, hmm. but then COVID came in 2020. And I was stuck with my. I was stuck in Nigeria initially, mm-hmm. and I remember when they were allowing people to fly. I flew to Edinburgh to be with my family, you know. And in August of 2020, I just couldn't sleep. I remember this night. It was 29th of August. I just couldn't sleep. Something just keeps saying to me, "This is the time to mm-hmm. set up in the UK." By then, my family had lived in the UK for four years. Yeah. I still hadn't set up the business, mm-hmm. right? And that night, I got up went to my study, incorporated the business, more or less. By morning, I registered BHM UK. Wow. By the next day, I wrote to Stephen Waddington, who I had known from his blogs and all of that. Yeah. I, had, I had written to Stephen Waddington and um, um, the gentleman that wrote the book, Trust Me, PR is Dead, um, Robert Phillips, mm-hmm. right? And, and I was chatting with Robert and Philip, just trying to say, guys, this is who I am. I'm setting up in the UK and I want your advice. I want you guys to essentially hold me by the hand. We've done very well in Nigeria, but mm-hmm. we want to come to the UK, not just because we think there's big business here, but we think we can help the Nigerian industry and the African market get a voice if you are here and, and we are closer. Robert sadly couldn't help much. He was sick at the time. He's passed on now. God rest his soul. Mm-hmm. Um, Stephen was very, very, very supportive. You know, we started meeting over Zoom and it was very, very helpful. And by March of 2021, we were in business. Um, and the, the the acceptance that we got mm-hmm. actually made me weep. Mm-hmm. Everybody welcomed us with open arms. The CIPR, the PRCA, Provoke Media, PR Week, the level of... And I said to my team, we could have stayed back in Nigeria fighting and complaining. Yes, it's cost us a lot to be here, but then, so we set up the UK first. And then based on our, so our UK promise is to actually help the clients here and mm. they understand Africa better. And we also have so many clients in Nigeria and South Africa and Kenya who would benefit from understanding the UK market better. So it's a bilateral proposition. Yeah. Market access consulting. Yeah, market wow. access consulting. That's yeah. it. Yeah, that. So, so once we were set up in the UK, and we got the recognition, and we were established, and we hired our first staff, we knew it was time to start selling around Africa because you can't sell an Africa promise and you're just in Nigeria. Yeah. And then we plan Africa. That's especially yeah. a lot of the multinationals. Yeah. They want to have to manage multiple different agencies and yeah. what is it? Fifty-four countries in Africa. Yeah. They want to have. Yeah. Know, the continent yeah. uh, covered. Yeah. 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 So 
So you set up in Ghana and Kenya. And then we set up Ghana and Kenya, uh, and, and, and then we are following up with Rwanda and Ethiopia and all these other, Tanzania and Kobo. We set up from a regional perspective. Uh, so we set up Ghana to support Nigeria for yeah. West Africa, mm -hmm. and we set up Kenya to support East Africa. Uh, um, you know, and then from next year, we're going to then go deep into each of those um, countries. The plan is that by 20, 2026, we want to be in at least 50% of African countries and not through affiliations or through freelancers, be there on the ground, we boot on the ground because of the culture. Yeah. We want to make sure that what we promise the client is actually getting um, um, delivered. And, and part of what we're doing to fast track that is, for example, the Africa PR and Com report that we did just to also say, until we get into these other markets, what could we do to help ourselves and everybody else know the continent better. And when did you launch the, the um, Africa PR and Comms report? We launched that just about a month ago. Uh, and, and, and so the, was the whole thinking, was it for the audience outside of Africa to understand Africa or was it for the internal audience in Africa and the PR industry? For both. You couldn't even lay your hands on credible data, even within Africa on the industry, both from the agency side and from the yeah. client side. So the idea, so and we surveyed twenty nine countries, mm -hmm. right, in English and I think Portuguese and in French. And so the idea is to start something that can give us at least verifiable data. The PRC has done some work in that regard. The CIPR has done some work in that regard. ECO has done some work in that um, regard. If if you, if you combine all of that, mm -hmm. you suddenly begin to understand the state of the industry. Um, I, 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 you know, and but we did that as a way of helping even us understand Africa better to get it done. We've done that on PR. Yeah. What we're doing next now is to do sectors. We're now going to banking, going into agriculture, into technology yeah. and so on and so forth. And what's your plan for the report? Are you going to issue this report every year, the same month? And then when you talk about you're going to do a deep dive into different sectors, are you going to release that for the next year's report or is that going to be interim reports? Yes. And, and how can people download it as well? Yeah, so the plan is for the report to come out annually, mm -hmm. but there will then be interim interim reports on key sectors of the market. Okay. Uh, I'm right on on democracy, on pop culture, yeah. on sports, on fashion, and so on and so forth. Um, I, I, I mean, and and so that when we go to the this report will still be presented in fiscal events, but the idea is when you go and speak in the US about Africa, really, what's, what's the reference, right? When you mm. go to Brussels, right, what's the reference? So it starts from knowing PR better, but you want to also be able to understand the business landscape. And we're doing this not just for ourselves, we make these reports available for download for free, yeah. because we want to encourage the growth of the industry. My, my vision, is to be able to accelerate the African industry in such a way that it can occupy its space within the global conversation. And that cannot happen mm. if we're not able to provide market access advisory, provide thought leadership, if we're not able to demonstrate knowledge. Mm. What everywhere I go to, I'm not being asked about how can I appear in a newspaper or get a media mention. No, people mm. want intelligence, People want insight. People want perspective about what is happening on the continent. That's what we get paid for. Yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm right. So, so, so uh, uh, the, 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 the proposition as we go around the world 
is to be able to provide knowledge and insight about the continent to anybody who's interested in having that understanding. Um, you know. you know, I find that I find it really fascinating because if someone's setting up a PR agency, you know, like myself in London or someone in New York, we just, you know, set up the agency, hire the staff, you know, get the clients and we're on it. Whereas I feel with you, you've had to really build the agency. Um, you had to build the industry. In a way, you have to end up kind of nation building uh, where you have to, you know, where you know, things that we take for granted in countries where we have a fully developed industry, there's people like you in other countries that don't have a fully developed industry that have to basically lay down the foundations as well as run the agency, create all of the reports, you know, are from a continent that is misunderstood, um, that needs to overcome so many obstacles that the mind boggles and, you know, and I also sort of think to myself that the good that you're doing for Africa is so important because I myself have worked, you know, in Africa, I've worked for various presidents. And I always used to think to myself, you know, it's wonderful, you know, that I have the opportunity to work internationally and, and work for these Ameri these um, African presidents. But actually, where is my counterpart based in Africa that I should be working with? Because you're external and the internal perspective right. and you know if an external you know consultant such as myself comes in with not the knowledge or the data of you know the continent then what kind of you know what where's the value for the comm strategy because you know you and and so I used to always wonder about that and so what you're creating is you're creating an army of storytellers that can tomorrow tell the story of these African nations so they're not beholden to yeah. other who who fly in and fly out um and you know i think it's really important the work that you're doing and i think you are just beyond um a pr agency head that's doing really well and growing expanding i think you're you know you're, you're nation building uh, and, and you're really addressing the inequity of global storytelling um and the timing is perfect as africa and asia you know these sort of yeah. balance economic power is moving uh what you're doing is so important uh to you know you're, you're building bridges at a time where we're living in that increasingly sort of multipolar um world so you know hats off to you thank you Rosanna. um the, 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 the my, my i have a strong feeling mm -hmm. that the world needs and that the world is ready yeah. for an alternative network group from Asia and from Africa. It's not even because it benefits us, because I think that it benefits Europe, it benefits America. When you talk about diversity and equality and inclusion and so on and so forth, um, um, whether you're working for Barclays Bank or for JP Morgan or for um, Apple and so on and so forth, I think that these organizations and democracies and bodies will benefit from consultancies, be it in accounting and in management and in communications, who bring the perspective of 1.3 billion people and growing to the table. What currently happens is that these businesses get awarded to the big four or to the Edelmans and all the big guys in Europe and America. Mm -hmm. and they are then divided up and they sit in Amsterdam or in Dubai or in London. And then they get into Africa through affiliations and partnerships and so on. 
I think that, and the data has gone on for God knows how many decades. And then you you find that some of the organizations like Edelman and Ketchum have really tried to invest and expand into Africa, which is good. Hmm. But I think that reverse expansion, I think is credible. I want to see a homegrown agency like Red Ale from Singapore be mainstream in New York and in London and be as big and can participate in global RFPs for, 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 for the biggest companies on earth. I want to see uh, um, uh, um, uh, uh, BHM from Nigeria, this company with maybe 200 people and, and 90% of them are people of color, black people, okay, mm-hmm. be as mainstream, okay, and be able to approach big business and and I just think that at the end of the day, when you take a look at what you're building with Cousin, what I'm doing with BHM, what we're trying to do, right? At the end of the day, my pitch is that 1.3 billion people, whether you're Facebook or you're Apple, I am not saying give your entire global business to, to, to Cousin PR or to um, Red Hill. I am saying that as you take a look at your global portfolio, perhaps you have a chance to say, guys, the Africa part of our business, we are going to award it to this firm that can help us provide that one. Or we want to get to a point where in our internal communications, in our in-house team, because this is not just an agency problem, right? You find that even, even on the in-house teams and so on and so forth, you have people advising organizations who don't have a foot on the ground perspective to the issues that they are advising on. So I've seen the work you're doing, I've seen the work Jacob is doing with Red Ale and, and a lot of other people. I'm in New York all the time. I'm back in New York in a few weeks, and I'm just saying that we need to put in the work. So the work we're doing with Africa PR Report, with World PR Day and with Black Art, is to say we, we won't fold our arms and say, no, why the business is not coming to Africa? Why is not competition? No, we're making the right investments. We're going to invest in technology. We're going to invest in research and data and we're going to invest in actually building our companies, not just across Africa, but also being in Europe and America in such a way uh, that it just provides the opportunity for one person to break in. All I ask is for open-mindedness. Every room I go into it, I just say, guys, the U.S. organizations went around the world on the back of their clients. If you, if you study the global expansion that we speak about today, name any of the big networks, right? right? The, the, the entire China excursion from Europe and America went on the back of business. We don't have that. We don't have hundreds of African companies expanding into Europe and America. That's one. We also don't have banks who are saying, do you know, we'll go and acquire your next 10 companies. We are going to support you, right? Right. So, 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 so you are in, in a point where um, portfolio investments, FDI, and what have you are flowing from Europe, America, and Asia into Africa. If that is, and that is happening increasingly, then perhaps it's time to pay attention and say, okay, if I really want to play in, I drive around my streets in Lagos, Microsoft is there, Facebook is there, Google is there, these guys are there. And I'm saying, if you really want to succeed, if you really, 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 really want to succeed, you want to start thinking of working directly with original consultancies from this region, as opposed to giving your global business to one of these firms who then go and say, who should we partner with on ground? And then they, 
it's good. It's a good start, but the ideal point. But we're not afraid of putting in the work. My dream is to make this happen no matter what, right? So we are, we are going ahead with our expansion plans. We're, we are setting up. We're pitching for business. We're doing great work. The beauty the is to succeed in spite of all the issues. I, I, I mean, but it will be easy for the entire continent if the PRCA, the CIPR, and all the clients were to understand the value that the world benefits by saying your Asia strategy is succeeding because Fazana is there and she has this knowledge and this perspective and this understanding and you factor that in what you're doing. And you're saying, Fazana, I'm sorry, you are in how many countries again across Asia or Africa? You are in four. We want it to be in 40 by the end of next year. What do you need? Right? Okay, because we want to work with you in 40 countries across that region. What do you need? It's happened before. It happens with US firms. It happens with UK firms where the client is saying, this is our plan for the next 10 years. This is, this is our roadmap. We really want to work with you. You need to get ready to be in those markets. This is what you have to do. Right? So this is what I pitch to governments in Africa. This is what I preach to clients in Africa. This is what I preach in New York. This is what I preach in, in London. We can't compete with Edelman for client business in New York. We have a lot to learn from Edelman and Fleshman Hilliard and Ketchum and Ogivi and Co. When it comes to running business for the clients and, and advising clients who do business in New York. But I'm sorry, I dare say that Edelman and Ketchum and Co. have a lot to learn from us when it comes to advising the clients who do work across 54 African countries, 1.3 billion people. And we want an opportunity to be around the table and provide that perspective. All right, if, if the industry and 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 the, the business community makes it easy for us i would appreciate it but whether they do it or not we're on this mission and we're going to make it happen and i guess with having your office in the uk and your soon to be launched office in uh, in the us that's going to make it easier because i imagine you know when people are deciding which agencies to work with in africa sometimes people are scared sometimes yeah. people are and sometimes people need to de-risk and they're like oh we work with Edelman here in New York we you know they've got an office in you know in Ghana let's just work with them and I think it's about kind of building the sense of familiarity um, you know which you're going to do because you'll be like we have an office in New York we have an office in you know uh, in the UK and so that strategy that you have is really clever because what you're really doing is you're de-risking that decision making process because for them it's a leap into the unknown it's into this you know this continent that you know that that they don't understand and they don't know and you know holding on and it's a little bit like why mcdonald's and starbucks does so well people travel around the world they go to all sorts of countries and they leave their home i don't know you know in in new york and and they go to you know um i don't know india and the first thing they look for is a starbucks because in a climate where you're uncertain and you and you you feel you know at adrift, you look for certainty, yeah. and that's why the McDonald's and the Starbucks and all of that does so well because that's what people look for. So I think having you know yeah. building your brand in the UK and in the US, you yeah. know, will pay dividends. Um, and yeah. you're already doing a fantastic job. I mean, yeah. using PR, uh, but you know, I'm sure that the third party endorsement that you get from the FT article. Yeah really yeah. make people go, oh, yeah. they've been written about by the FT. Yeah. So it's layers and layers of credibility. And you're using classic PR techniques yeah. to overcome that business challenge, yeah. uh, which is 
really fascinating. Now, I understand why you're doing the Africa report. I understand why you're upskilling and building talent in Africa. I understand your mission. Uh, I understand your sort of thinking of, well, if, you know, if Western companies can come to Africa, why can't African companies go to the West and compete, you know, as well? And I understand that. Uh, what I don't understand is why, you know, with all this work that you're doing, all these offices that you're juggling, all these missions that you're, you, you know, that you're driving, why then on top of that coming up with, you know, creating two incredible days, you've got the Global Day of Influence and Global PR Day. What was the thinking behind creating these two days? Um, and, you know, and I noticed that the Global Day of Influence is November the 22nd. Yes. Not only is my birthday, of Edward Bernays. Yeah, Edward Bernays, yeah. No, a little bit about, you know, the global day of influence. Did you just, did you anchor it to November the 22nd uh, because you've been secretly stalking me and you know it's <laughs> was it actually Edward Bernays and what does he mean to you? Yeah, uh, thank you so much. And now I can never forget your birthday again. So that's, that's really, really good. So, so we, 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 with, with what's going on around the world, um, if you look at um, Russia, Ukraine, mm -hmm. if you look at um, US-China relations, if you come to Africa, if you see what's happening from Niger to Burkina Faso to Mali and so on, there's chaos everywhere, right? Um, uh, and you can see that people are benefiting from this chaos. Yeah. Um, I you know, we, we designed the Global Day of Influence to create an opportunity to have conversations about using influence for good. People use influence for so many selfish reasons, oftentimes to actually divide people so they can manipulate them. Politicians, big business, big tobacco, big tech, and so on and so forth. Um, um, you know. So we say if we are PR people, PR is, in my mind, PR is one of the most noble professions in the world because it teaches people to be honest, mm -hmm. to be fair, to communicate with, with, with the intention of being understood, right? PR, the ethics, and it's what drives how I live my life, the ethics. If we were able to guide our clients, our stakeholders, our principals, and so on, to even follow it at 50% level, if the presidents of all the countries of the world were to run their offices and run their countries on the back of the ethics of PR. I don't think most of the issues that we have around the world, we would have it. In politics in my country, people say if somebody says good morning to you in politics, you literally should go to bed because it's most likely like 10 or, or 11 p.m. We've come to a point where we've accepted that politics is not a moral game. You can do anything to get into government. I'm sorry, if you get into government by all means possible, then you can't govern ethically. So we designed the Global Day of Influence as a way to teach ourselves, to remind ourselves, mm. number one, to have influence. PR people are too quiet, too mm. laid back. We should have the biggest profiles on LinkedIn and Twitter and Instagram. If we are really the, the, the gatekeepers for professional ethics, yeah, our voices... We should be the thought leaders across sectors. So each time I open the FT or the Wall Street Journal or the New York Times or the Times of London, and I see an article disparaging PR, I'm like, well, it's not your fault. The people who should be writing about PR for all these magazines should be PR people, not somebody 
who doesn't doesn't even know much about the profession. So, so, so PR has been so demarketed, yeah. so the PR that we don't even have the influence number one that we should have. So, for global day of influence, we want to have the right influence. I want PR leaders to be respected and trusted and influential. Then we want to remind ourselves of this influence that we should hold. But also on the influence that we have on big business and big tobacco and big government and big tech, so that we can work with them to use their influence for good. Perhaps the world will get less of wars and conflict and all of that. That's the concept behind the Global Day of Influence. Yeah, I, I love that because the irony is that we're in the business of reputation, but PR people and our industry suffers. Um, yeah. So, you know, that's such an irony that we, you know, our craft is reputation, but yet, you know, when you say people you work in PR, you almost get an eye roll. Yeah. Um, and, you know, and also it's, you know, people sort of assume that, you know, that all you do is misconstrue and twist yeah. truth. Um, and they, and, you know, and so you often have, you know, even in the, in the UK where the PR industry is quite mature, you often have, you know, news articles about how, you know, I don't know, a local council wasted, you know, 28,000 pounds on PR, you know, and, and it's like, we're not valued, we're not understood, but how can an industry out of all industries um, be so misunderstood and so undervalued when our craft is influence and reputation. So, you know, so do you feel that where we are going wrong is that we are not proactive enough in our own storytelling as individual PR practitioners, as well as as an industry having a voice where, you know, you know, where we proactively and strategically communicate the value that we bring? Yes, we, we, we haven't done a good job of that. The CIPR is trying their best, the PRC is trying PRSA is trying, PR can, NIPR in Nigeria, you know, I think a lot of efforts are going into. Mm-hmm. There are so many committees, so many people working, but not much is getting done. I think it's time for PR people. There are millions of us around the world to actually mm-hmm. join in that effort. It's not going to be a battle for PRCA alone. I saw Francis, God rest his soul, carry the battle on his head, right? For so many years. It's not a job to, to be left for the PRCA only, for the CIPR so many people earning income from mm. public relations doing amazing work um right i use the technology industry as as an example they they tell so beautiful stories of their work the startup became so fashionable the startup scene right right the idea of raising has become so cool and i'm like people no longer even think you have to become profitable so if you look if you look at the way the, the tech people have sort of curated their industry. We need to be intentional about how we build influence. I want, if we truly, truly want to have a voice and have a voice that has meaning, then we need to be in the room and we, we need to say and do the right things. Each time I see a journalist call out a PR person on Twitter for over pitching or for long pitching or, or for being lousy, I'm like, that's bad. But guess what? I admit that there are quack PR people there are lousy and a lot of nuisance PR people, but there are also quack doctors. There are yeah. quack lawyers. There are quack journalists. Mm-hmm. There are so many journalists doing such a horrible job. But, but guess what? I don't yeah. paint the entire journalism practice with the brush of the few who are doing doing horrible stuff. Same with medicine and surgery. Same with finance. But guess what? It is also because the there's so many public examples of fantastic, great journalism. There's a Pulitzer Prize. Awarding so there are so many things that showcases great journalism that 
and they are mainstream and they are big. Same with from, but in PR, we just speak to ourselves. Mm. So, eco conferences, PRCA conferences, even the way we use Twitter. Yeah. Is, yeah. 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 Even it's it, 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 uh, I'm like, no, it's time. So, the investment we are making into the future, the fellowships we are creating, the scholarships we are creating, the projects we are doing are to create, which was also why we created the word PRD. In, in, in addition to global day of influence, are to create platforms and opportunities that can extend public relations reputation into the rooms where we need to have the right reputations in boards, in the finance industry, in the insurance industry, in the technology space, in the academic space, and so on and so forth. Stephen is doing a PhD, and we've always talked about this gap between theory and practice, right? So, so at the point where the, the, it's seen as a profession that requires... So, so, so the work we're doing next is to get to a point where you can point out terrible journalists out there. But mm -hmm. I'm sorry, you can also point out a lot of amazing John, journalism out there. Yeah. Um, you read the story of the nurse, uh, um, the, the nurse that was just convicted a few days ago of killing babies. But you will also read hundreds of stories of medical practitioners doing fantastic work. You will see what the NHS is doing. But in PR, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, 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 so we've not designed platforms and experiences and opportunities and all of that to showcase the way we are helping the world, we are helping governments, we are helping countries and industries and all of that. It's not become cool, it's not become fashionable, and it has to. Yeah, because a lot of people ask me in my career, why did you choose PR? Why would you want to be a PR person? You know, it's just not really well respected. Um, but I absolutely, I, I, I love PR. Um, it's quite interesting because we often counsel our clients uh, when there's a negative sort of reputation or negative sentiment is to not leave a vacuum where other people control the narrative. You yeah. go in control the narrative, but we've actually departed. And and there are, of course, you know, the PRCA and the CIPR and other players who are doing, you know, a fantastic job, but they need the industry behind them. Yeah. There's only so much they can do. And there's like people like Stephen Waddington and Sarah Waddington who, you know, probably like you and for both of us who didn't come from a PR agency background, they put so much content out there to help people like us understand the industry and navigate the industry. So there's amazing people, but I think we obviously need more of them. Here in the UK, for instance, uh, when you think of when the person outside of the industry thinks about PR, they often think about, you know, you know, on TV, we had this series when I was growing up, absolutely fabulous, which was about this fashion PR and she was totally mad um, and, you know, completely off her head and alcoholic tendencies and, you know, was high most of the time. Uh, and you got that on one extreme. On the other extreme, you've got PR represented as kind of shady political PRs who are shouting and screaming and, you know, super unethical um, and kind of like, you know, a little bit Machiavellian sort of yeah. pulling strings. So those are the sort of archetypes of PRs that we have in the sort of national conscience uh, of, yeah. you know, and there's nobody really pushing through a positive. And we also had, you know, unfortunately, we had some high profile sort of PR people, yeah. like, you know, um, you know, when you had Bill Pottinger, uh, yeah. that had a very negative impact on the public perception yeah. of PR. Uh, and then Max Clifford as well, who yeah. was a PR person, um, yeah. you know, and, and the crimes that he committed. So, so we have definitely, you know, need to step up our game if we are to be taken yeah. seriously. But what I wanted to know about the Global Day of Influence on November the twenty second, apart from buying me and sending me a lovely, generous birthday present, absolutely, are your plans? Like, what what does it mean? What are you going to do? What do you want other people to do? 
Are you going to have a toolkit that we can download to help us yeah. come up with our own initiatives? Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so similar to what we do with World PR Day, um, um, the difference is here is that we're considering doing a fiscal event in London. Um, you know, COVID cost us two or three years. So this year, we're thinking to do a fiscal event in London, more like a sitting event where you actually get to sort of explain to people what this means and what we're trying to achieve with this. And and then, of course, the toolkit, you know, and the reason why we step back often from both events is that we don't want to own them. If you see how well what Paraday has done, is that we created them, we put it out there, and we stayed there with just to make sure that people can take ownership. Because really, it's not for us. I want people to be proud to work in PR. I want, I want people to ask, wait. And if you see, it's been adopted like, I, I don't know, 30, 40, 50 countries now around the world, Asia, everywhere. I'm, 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 you know, but, but, but because PR is very direct, what PR is, it's easy to understand what it's about. When people ask me about global of influence, I often have to explain that influence is not about people even confusing with influencer marketing. I'm like, yeah, he has a role to play, right? Yeah. Because celebrities and influencers have a responsibility. In my country, in Nigeria, we've gotten to a point where people now advertise medicines and drugs that have not been approved by the drug body, right? And they use influencers just to bypass. I'm like, that has an impact. I'm saying... We all need to be conscious about our responsibility. The parent has an influence on the child. That's how I see PR. I see PR and comes not only as what we do for the clients. And I keep saying it needs to be taught from elementary school, right? The way you manage your stakeholders, it's not only a business that requires to understand the skill. The, the, the church, the family unit, communities, and so on and so forth. If we don't get that right, you are going to find people who have not been trained in the right way suddenly come into the world of work. And you expect them to be able to understand that this is the way to manage relationships. So for this year, we might do a fiscal event. Um, I'm, I'm waiting for some go-ahead on that. But the plan is to have a toolkit and to encourage people to own it as much as they can. I think the year before, we asked people to just identify who's had the most influence on their lives and why. Just kickstart a conversation, and people were talking about their parents and their mm. grandparents. Somebody said it was actually their child that their yeah. child taught them how to love, mm. right? And that just changed the kind of person that they were. So, so just to begin to draw attention to influence and what it means. But what I found from the research that we did was that most PR people did not consider themselves influencers. Mm. Most people work in PR, and I'm like, no, but you have an influence. Over, if you work in house, I'm sorry, you have an influence over your principal. If you're an agency, you are trying to sell. You are trying to get a client to think in a certain way or to move from a certain way or to take an action or not to take an action. You are an influencer. Yeah. Right? And if you're trying to get your way into the newsroom, if you're trying to pitch content mm -hmm. through the newsroom to an audience, you are trying to cause influence. So, redefining influence to let us understand that it's not only when. Um, the Kardashian sisters, or when John Legend, you know, comes up and say, guys, I've got this new product. No, we all have influence in our different spheres. How do we want to use them? How do we choose to use them? In this case, we need to begin yeah. using it for the PR profession, which we've not done. So when you step out every day, 
the way you conduct yourself on social media in your community when you want to pitch to the media when you pitch with the clients do you present yourself in such a way that they say wow that person works in pr pr must be a serious and noble profession or mm -hmm. do they think those guys must be jesters because of you so, so from how you comport yourself how you do your work how you the kind of training you give yourself the kind of knowledge that you acquire how you carry yourself are you adding to the positive reputation for pr because of you that's influence so how do we begin by using our own medicine that is a start point the end point is to be able to get to a point where we can have lasting influence on democracy and on business two aspects that i think will determine where the world goes next and i think we've done a very poor job of both yeah, uh, I, I completely, completely agree, because I think all of us in our individual capacity, we're ambassadors. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of us choose PR because we love the industry. And I think there's no greater way of showing your love than to, yeah. um, you know, to promote the industry that you're in um, by being your, you know, the best self that you can. Uh, my last question for you, Ayeni, is, um, is on the topic of influence. Yeah. Who has made the greatest influence on you? And it could be more than one person. Okay, I didn't see that question coming. And it was not in the treatment. I would say, I would group them, my parents. So uh, my parents are late. Um, um, I, I was adopted by the INS. Um, they are both late now. My dad died in 2011. My mom died in 2004. Um, I think that would be the biggest influence in the person I've turned out to be in my values and principles, hard work, you know, and so on. Typical African parent, you know, and um, that would be that. I would also say that I've got a community of friends who have really, really, really influenced my approach to business and my approach to how I live my life, my approach to family and everything. Um, I, I, I'm, you know, and then I would say my immediate family. Um, my my siblings, you know, my children, you know, my wife. I met my wife in university, and we come from two different backgrounds. And and I think just being exposed to that other side really, really just showed me what I come from a polygamous family. My father had about 12, 13 children from five, six women. So wow. so meeting my wife in school, who comes from a home where it's just herself. I have three siblings, a parents, you know, and I would go to their house and I saw for the first time a different kind of home, different to what I was used to, you know. So, so, mm -hmm. but, but I think most importantly, um, I will say that there's been so many people that I've never had the privilege of meeting or being acquainted with whose works I've read who have had tremendous influence on me. Reading opened my eyes at a very early age to mm -hmm. the entire world before I ever got on a plane. Before I ever left my bedroom, I've been to the US, I've been to the UK, I've been everywhere. So, so, I, and I still try my best to just read as widely as I can. I, 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 I mean, so I would say the biggest influence on me has been my parents, my friends, my family, and then the people whose work I've had the privilege of consuming. And, and uh, final uh, cheeky question uh, you mentioned books. I mean, I, I'm I love reading and for me I had a very kind of narrow um, exposure growing up so I didn't know much of the world but yeah. my god when I opened a book I traveled yeah. uh, and I uh, and I learned so much just from reading 
are there any particular books that you'd recommend reading uh, for you know for our listeners? It doesn't have to be PR related. Uh, you know anything across you know sort of self development, business, you know, PR, marketing, media. Is there any particular authors or books that you've read that um, that you would recommend? Um, I'm, I'm a little bit selfish. I'm going to recommend a, a lot of African authors. Please do. Uh, yeah, I'll, rep- I'll recommend more authors on their works than specific books. So The Complete Works of Walesha Inca, highly recommended. Um, the Complete Works of Chinua Achebe, God bless his soul. Actually, Things Fall Apart, highly recommended. Um, Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie, highly recommended. Um, TM Aluko, highly recommended. Um, and then I will go to, um, um, there's a gentleman called Teju Cole, who I'm a big fan of, highly recommended. Um, and, you know, and and just that's just a few. No um, apologies to anyone that I should include that I may have left out, but that's just a few um, from a very, very extensive list. Um, but I would also say that there are people that I read from here that I find very inspiring. Um, either articles or long read. There's a gentleman called Paul Graham, um, who I read very, very, very well. There's a, there's a gentleman called Neville, who's mm-hmm. long reads and threads I pay attention to. Um, 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 you know, there's Christensen. I've forgotten his first name now. He's dead now. Um, mm-hmm. uh, uh, um, who I really, really, and he did this book in partnership with, with a Nigerian gentleman. The title of the book I remember is called The Prosperity Paradox. Very okay. good very very good book um, 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 um you know and then there is i'm trying to remember the book that steven okay i'll i'll stick with authors again so when i just met steven Waddington, he has sent me a book by scott galloway it was something about post corona it was a very powerful book so scott galloway's works extremely extremely recommended um, um if you want to focus on pr and read about pr go and buy steven Waddington books, the ones he did alone and the ones he, he co-authored um, with other people. There's Mark Ritson around marketing, also the works of Mark Ritson. And I learned about how to restructure how I my how I saw my business from a book that a good friend of mine, John Uwe, um, um, recommended to me. And it was called The Subscription Economy. So we never saw the business we do retained business and all of that as a subscription business as guaranteed future earnings and now you can plan your income for the next three years and on the back of that you could plan investments and expansion and talent acquisition you could essentially plan your capital expenditure your current expenditure your entire business for the next 12 months if you were to sign the 12 month contract today it's, it's the same thing with paying apple a monthly source um, subscription. So I read that book. It's by Tienzo, and it was very, very good. And I, just, I never thought of it as agency retained as a subscription, but you're absolutely spot on. It's a subscription business, and I read that book, and I got into a rabbit hole of just trying to just study about subscription businesses and why they grow so well and why they do so well. And it changed my approach. It changed my view to how I saw my business. So, so, uh, um, so, yeah. Uh, um, 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 there's a book that I don't remember now that I really, really want to recommend, and I'm just going to pick it up. If you just give me a second, it's 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 very controversial and it's old, 
By the way, I recommend, so there's a book called 12 Causes of Dishonesty. It's by Henry Ward Beecher. Oh my gosh, okay. Yeah. Is and, it like Machiavelli's The Prince? Kind of. Kind uh, of. And 48 Laws of Power. By yeah, 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 kind of. And the original Edward Bernays book on PR, um, I recommend it. It's called Propaganda. If yeah. you read it, with the knowledge of PR that you know now, a lot of the principles that would really, really, really sort of put perspective to what we do is in that book. It's an old book, very, 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 very old, don't mind the language, but look for the original uh, book by Edward Bernays, very, very powerful book. Yeah, so that's just a summary of what I think I find uh, um, um, useful. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much, Ayeni. Um, it's been absolutely inspiring to, to hear you and to hear about your journey. Um, and I wanted to thank the audience for tuning in. And, you know, please do subscribe, rate and review the podcast. Um, what we'll try and do is also include the links to the books that Ayeni recommends, um, as well as um, also Ayeni's social media handles, uh, which uh, I believe your Twitter handle is Ayeni uh, the Great. Yeah, across uh, all platforms. Yes, Ayeni the Great. Yeah, I love that. Oh. And your Instagram as well, Ayeni. Yes. Uh, yes. LinkedIn. Yes. And, and then the um, the website for the company for people who want to learn more about the company is bhmng.uk and bhmng.com fantastic brilliant well we have lots of other exciting episodes coming up so please do subscribe and a um, and please do follow a yeni he is a incredible uh, mover and shaker in our industry and we are so grateful that you've taken the time out for us thank you thank you so much for zana thanks so much for the opportunity Thank you for listening to this episode of Fuse. Our home online is prca.org.uk.